I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
The air was thick with anticipation as I prepared to step into the lion's den. My name is Anthony, a dedicated police officer with an unwavering commitment to justice. Today I was about to embark on a mission that would push me to my limits, an assignment to infiltrate a notorious criminal organization that had plagued our city for far too long. Undercover work had always intrigued me, but I had never imagined the challenges that lay ahead. As I assumed a new identity, I shed my old self, leaving behind Antony, the police officer, and becoming Tony, a man of shadows. The line between reality and facade began to blur, and I had to remind myself constantly of my purpose, to gather evidence and bring down these criminals. Immersing myself in the criminal underworld was both exhilarating and terrifying. I rubbed shoulders with thieves, drug lords, and murderers playing my part convincingly, all the while suppressing the nagging voice in the back of my mind, reminding me of the moral dilemmas I was about to face. One fateful night amidst the dimly lit corners of the organization's headquarters, I witnessed something that defied all rational explanation. A creature unlike anything I had ever seen was held captive on a leash. Its glowing eyes pierced through the darkness, sending a chill down my spine. It was a cryptid, a being that belonged in the realm of myth and folklore, not within the clutches of these criminals. Driven by the need for evidence, I discreetly reached for my camera, desperate to capture proof of this otherworldly encounter. But before I could press the shutter, the organization's enforcers were upon me, their eyes burning with suspicion. They accused me of spying, of betraying their trust, and confiscated my camera as punishment. In that moment, I realized the grave danger I had unwittingly stumbled upon. The organization's reach extended far beyond what I had anticipated, and my true identity as an undercover officer was on the verge of being exposed. Fear coursed through my veins, but I refused to let it paralyze me. With every ounce of determination, I planned my escape. I knew that my life and the success of this mission depended on my ability to outwit those who sought to destroy me. Under the cover of darkness, I seized a moment of distraction and made my move. Running through a labyrinth of corridors, I narrowly evaded capture, relying on my training and instincts to guide me. Every step was calculated, every decision critical. It was a high-stakes game, and I refused to be a pawn any longer. Finally, I burst through the doors of the organization's stronghold, gasping for breath and covered in sweat. Freedom had never tasted so sweet, but as I looked back, I knew that my actions would have consequences. The criminals would stop at nothing to track me down, to protect their secrets, and to silence the threat I had become. As I melted into the shadows, vowing to bring justice to those who had eluded it for far too long, I understood that my journey was far from over. I had glimpsed the supernatural, survived the clutches of evil, and emerged stronger, more determined than ever, to expose the truth. Antony, the police officer, would resurface, armed with the knowledge of the organization's inner workings. I would gather the evidence needed to dismantle their empire, protect innocent lives, and ensure that the cryptid I had encountered would never be subjected to their vile clutches again. In the end, the organization's betrayal had only solidified my resolve. I was the relentless force they never saw coming, 
a dedicated officer who would stop at nothing to dismantle their criminal empire and bring them to justice, no matter the personal cost. So for the better part of 15 years, I've been seeing something. It's tall, very tall, probably eight feet, and it's pitch black. Everything around it seems to have a black staticky thing around it. Every time before it attacks, the same things happen. I have an immense sense of dread. Whatever direction it's coming from my ear and that side does immediately deaf. I see it and then pass out. When I pass out, I always wake up in some weird version of wherever I passed out, be it a classroom or church. I'm there alone with it. It stalks me and tries to get me. When I look at it, I feel depressed and want to give up. So far, I have been. Clawed, scratched, and bitten by it. All left real-world marks when I wake up. The worst time happened when it stretched his arm unnaturally long and began to choke me. I woke up and barley escaped but woke up to an asthma attack that almost got me sent to the... Er, it used to only happen once every few years. It bothered me, but not enough to make me really seek help. But lately it's happening a lot. In the past months, it has happened at least three months. The most recent I barely escaped it, running inside my house, and even my dog got scared. I am so tired of this. I don't expect to defeat or kill it. But I have a kid on the way, and I can't let this thing run my life anymore. If any of you have any ideas of what it is, please let me know. I feel like now that I, 23 male, is growing up, I am starting to feel the gravity of many things that happened, and have happened around me. Being a curious person, I like to investigate things, like to make my own worries around them. Yesterday morning, I started having this conversation with my mom about my theories on what dreams actually are and what science says about it. In the midst of that conversation, I suddenly recalled an incident that happened with her many years ago. My mom is not at all a person who likes to make things up. She is always so skeptical of superstitions, and I, and only I, know that if she claims watching something with her own eyes, which freaked her out and almost froze her to death, she is speaking the truth. It happened around twelve years ago. My family was going through financial crisis, and we used to live in my maternal grandma's house back then. Recently, a thief had also been sighted in the house, who ran away in panic because of the fear of being caught. Many scary things were happening, and we were damn serious towards all of them, as they were causing our family a lot of stress. I didn't get to know exactly when and how, but one evening my mom told my grandma that she saw a hairy demon in the bathroom, and almost froze to death seeing that. As I was a stupid eleven-year kid back then, I took it as a fun horror story and let it be. When I recalled this incident yesterday, I decided to ask about the details to my mom. So, I asked her to explain how was the appearance of that thing actually. She told me it was sitting on the floor of our bathroom. She said that it looked like an early man. Told me it was so gigantic that when it stood up on its legs, he easily reached the ceiling. As she froze and started screaming for help to my dad, this creature took only a couple of very, very long strides and disappeared. 
She says she doesn't recall much details from how this thing actually disappeared. I asked her why she calls that thing a demon. She said that because that's what her first guess was. I asked, so you mean to say it looked like a caveman? She said no. It wasn't a man or human in the first place. A beast? I asked. She said yes. She said it had very long hair all over its body, and the hair had a soil-like color. Immediately, my brain said Bigfoot. Then I googled Bigfoot and showed her the images. She said that it was very much of the same appearance as those images. I was shocked to hear that. The thing is, I am from India. Nobody ever heard of any Bigfoots in India, let alone in an urban environment, and that too, in one's bathroom. As weird and illogical this incident sounds, it really happened. My mom rarely believes in things like these and is always very serious towards life. She has never been attention-seeking or something, and this incident never helped her in any way. In fact, she was facing so many more challenges in life that this incident was a fresh wound on already wounded skin. So, what do you guys think of this incident? How can one see a Bigfoot-like creature in one's own home, which then disappears and is never seen again? Could it be something else? Also, there's a little incident about how my grandma saw it, too, around the same time, which I am not including so that I don't make this super long post longer. When I was about 10 years old, I would go to bed around 8.30 p.m. I used to fall asleep in my mom's bed. She had a TV in her room, so I would fall asleep to cartoons. And when she would come up to go to bed, she would wake me up and take me to my bed. One night, I was sleeping in my mom's bed, as per usual, and I woke up to the door opening. I didn't wake up to look who it was, because I figured it was my mom. It was just me, and her living at our house. I heard her walk towards the bed, and then stop. It was a good five minutes before I heard the bed creak from her laying down. She laid down and put her arm around me. She never said anything, and neither did I, since I was half asleep. She didn't wake me up to move me to my room, so I just figured she was letting me sleep in her room that night. I drifted off when I woke in the morning. I rolled over and saw my mom was gone. I walked downstairs and saw her sleeping on the couch. The title screen for Pretty in Pink was playing on the TV in the background. She woke up and smiled and asked me what I wanted for breakfast. I told her I'd just make myself a bowl of cereal. I headed to the kitchen and turned around to thank her for letting me sleep in her bed last night. She looked at me confused and said, You didn't sleep in your room. And I told her no. She said she fell asleep on the couch. I said, No, you came in the room last night. She looked at me even more puzzled and said, No, I've been down here the whole time. I kept telling her no. You laid down next to me, and I even remember you putting your arm around me and stroking my hair. She looked horrified. Again, we lived alone. My mom has no history of sleepwalking either. To this day, my mom and I are still freaked out by this and don't really like to talk about it. Never happened again. Never had any other paranormal activity in the house either. Hey guys, so when I was a child, I remember having this dream. Not sure if it was a dream, though. I was definitely around the age of 10. 
I remember being at this type of farmhouse in the middle of nowhere in this fence. But the thing is, this fence had a red light glow from its side, like if a car headlights was pointed in its direction. I remember that the light grew closer on the fence, as if something was getting closer around the corner of the house or something. I also remember a woman with a shotgun hiding on the other end outside the house on the corner, really scared with another person. I am not too sure about the whole memory as I was a child, however, when I was maybe 13. I came across to the McPherson's alien abduction, which was a similar encounter, but real, that happened in the 90s, caught on camera, which was posted on YouTube. There was like three different videotapes of it in which people say it was a way to cover it up, but I am wondering if maybe I even had a dream, or if I was in my spiritual self, observing a memory of something that happened in this McPherson abduction or something. Am I just being crazy? Was it just a dream and I am just acting silly, or is there a spiritual or unnatural reason? why I was able to relate to the McPherson's abduction before I ever saw any videos on it. Growing up, I always wanted to be like my father, brave and courageous, always fighting against wrong and instilling good or trying to. He was a police officer, and from a very tender early age, I decided that was the path I was going to continue on to. Carrying a real weapon everywhere. You know, the fantasy of beating up bad guys and robbers. Maybe it wasn't my father who had influenced me to be an officer. Maybe it was more the action movies we used to watch like Die Hard and things like that. Anyways, fast forward and I'm 20. Two years old, a newly appointed rookie officer patrol duty near Emily Bridge in Vermont. It was a very popular tourist attraction, but not because of its beauty, because of the creepy urban legend surrounding it. This 50-foot-long bridge is said to be the site of a young woman's self-harm in the mid-1800s. According to legend, the woman, Emily, was supposed to meet her lover at the bridge to elope. However, she ended up hanging herself from the rafters when he never showed. Now it's believed that Emily's ghost scratches at cars, it crosses pedestrians, and sometimes just appears in front of them in her ghastly evil form. I don't believe in such superstitions and legends people have committed ease in many places. How come the whole world is not haunted with their spirits? So it was a Saturday morning, the time of my duty, right near the bridge. I was patrolling alongside my partner, a 39-year-old officer whose name I will not mention. Twenty years of experience and a lot of stories on how he saved the world, apparently. He's so talkative, my head ached from listening to him over and over. I tried joining him off by playing Grease 2 in my head and eating my roll, which I bought street food. During patrolling is the best. My partner also had a roll but God forbid he quietly eat and stop talking. He's narcissistic and so self-obsessed. He even talks with his mouth full. During one of his abnormally long stories about how he had apparently saved a woman from being kidnapped, we heard a shrill scream. It seemed that a woman was screaming, but what most shook me was the pure terror that could be heard in her voice. 
we quickly geared up a walk toward the sound of the scream, which was apparently under the Emily Bridge. As soon as we reached there, I saw a sight which I probably won't ever be able to forget. A man lying on the ground, moaning in pain, as his back bled and a pool of blood was forming underneath him, while a woman was being strangled by a white shimmery thing. When my partner and I both stopped, the white thing stopped strangling that woman and turned around. It was a ghost, the ghost of a woman, probably Emily from the legend. It stopped and disappeared. It gave us this creepy cackle and quickly disappearing. We stood shaken for a moment because what on earth, but then went towards the distressed couple lying traumatized. I checked if the man was lying on the ground while my partner checked on the quietly sobbing woman. Thankfully, the woman was not hurt, so I called my partner to help me pick up the man and quickly get away from under the bridge, lest that Emily Coast comes again. How would this be able to happen? Even guns wouldn't affect a ghost. After coming away from the bridge, I laid the guy in the back seat of my car and took out my first aid kit. Well, my partner phoned an ambulance. The woman, poor her. She was traumatized, asking if her boyfriend would be all right. He was bleeding badly, and my partner tried to console her, but she just could not stop sobbing. It was a terrifying thing being attacked. I wouldn't blame her so much for crying. I would have done it, too. We tried asking her what happened, but she couldn't speak so much to tell what happened. When the ambulance arrived, we put the couple in it and sent them on their way to the hospital. We basically told our story to our supervisor, who laughed in our face and didn't believe me, even my experienced partner. At first, but we luckily had our cameras on us and had recorded the entire thing. Although the ghost of Emily was invisible in the recording, which is creepy, we could see the bleeding man and the being just flying in the air while clutching her neck where the hands of the ghost had been. Our supervisor was very quiet asked us to do a follow-up with the couple and asked them about what happened there to make sure their stories added up. We waited till the next day before checking up on them. You obviously need some time to accept what happened and come out of that traumatized state. The next morning, we left for the hospital where the couple was currently in. We asked them how they had been and if they were feeling better. They were better physically, but emotionally, they were still dealing with the repercussions of what happened. Upon asking what happened under the bridge, the woman told us that they were just making out when this being appeared. This white apparition formed around her boyfriend and tried to throw him off the bridge. He fought her back when she proceeded to attack, preventing him and her from leaving. I don't know when the woman tried to save her boyfriend by trying to drag him away and throw him off the bridge. This thing began choking this girl. It's completely wacko, right? While this thing was choking her is when we had appeared, as she profusely thanked us for saving their lives, suggested that we should close the underside of the bridge. And safe to say, I did not expect this to happen when I applied for working as an officer. I understand this probably sounds like some cheesy, creepy story, but I promise things happen on the job that are far more unquestionable than disturbing to say the least and stories like this get concealed from the public far more often than you would ever imagine. Last summer, I decided to spend two weeks with my grandfather at his old house. 
He was always a fascinating character, full of stories and wisdom, and I looked forward to spending time with him. However, I also knew that he often claimed to see ghosts around the house, especially coming from the room I would be sleeping in. I tried to brush it off as just one of his eccentricities. One night, after an evening filled with my grandfather's captivating stories, I went to bed, feeling a bit uneasy. I couldn't shake off the feeling that something was off, but I attributed it to my overactive imagination. Eventually, I drifted into a light, restless sleep. As I lay there half asleep, I suddenly felt a finger poke me hard in the arm twice. The sensation was so real that I jolted awake, my heart pounding in my chest. I quickly scanned the room, expecting to find my grandfather playing a prank on me or something. But the room was empty and my grandfather was snoring peacefully in his own bedroom down the hall. I tried to convince myself that it was just a dream or a muscle spasm, but the strange sensation in my arm persisted, making it impossible for me to dismiss what had just happened. I lay awake for the rest of the night, feeling scared and vulnerable, with every creak and groan of the old house making me jump. For the remainder of my stay, I couldn't shake off the fear that something supernatural was lurking in the house. Every time my grandfather casually mentioned seeing ghosts in the house, I felt a chill run down my spine. I tried to laugh it off, but the memory of that night haunted me. Eventually, my two weeks with my grandfather came to an end, and as much as I loved him and enjoyed our time together, I couldn't help but feel relieved to be leaving the house and its unsettling presence behind. Even now, when I think back to that summer, I can still feel the ghostly finger poking me in the arm, and I can't help but wonder if my grandfather's stories were more than just tales to entertain his grandchildren. Working at a hunting retreat in northern Canada was an experience I'll never forget. The solitude, the wilderness, and the sense of adventure made it an incredible place to be. I was the cook for the hunting lodge, and it was my job to prepare hearty meals for the hunters after a long day out in the wilderness. One early morning, I was walking from my cabin to the kitchen, ready to start my day. The air was crisp and cold, and a fresh blanket of snow had fallen overnight. It was so quiet that the only sound was the crunching of the snow beneath my boots. As I reached the kitchen, I realized I had left my apron behind in my cabin. Sighing, I turned back to retrieve it, trying to shake off the chill that had settled in my bones. That's when I saw them, large, unmistakable footprints in the snow, leading right up to the door. They were much bigger than any human footprints, and the stride was far longer than any person could take. My heart raced as I realized that something, or someone, had been following me as I walked to the kitchen. The thought of Bigfoot, a legend that had been passed around campfires for generations, crossed my mind. But that couldn't be possible, could it? I hurried back to my cabin, grabbing my apron and returning to the kitchen as quickly as possible. I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched, and I kept glancing nervously over my shoulder as I made my way through the snow. After that day, we all decided it was best to start doing things in pairs. The footprints had shaken us to our core, and we couldn't ignore the possibility that something was lurking in the wilderness around us. 
Even though we never saw any more signs of the mysterious creature, the memory of those footprints stayed with us, a chilling reminder that we were not alone out there. The legend of Bigfoot became a staple in our conversations, and we spent many nights huddled around the campfire sharing stories and speculating about the creature that had left its mark on our lives. Though I still can't say for sure what it was that followed me that morning, the experience left me with a newfound respect for the untamed wilderness and the mysteries it holds. I grew up on a ranch in a small old California ranch house. Lots of windows to stay cool on the summer, almost all the rooms open to the central living room. I was probably 14. My father was 11, and my mom was out that night running an errand. Brother and I are together in the living room. He's sitting by the stove, and I'm lying on the sofa. We're both doing homework. Inside, the lights are on. But through the windows, it's pitch black. As I'm reading, I hear footsteps on the mud porch leading up the front door. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's an old house, and I hear the heavy footsteps clearly. But I hadn't seen my mom's car drive in. I hadn't seen or heard any car. It's the country. I would have heard a car approaching and seen their headlights through the dark windows. But there was nothing, just the footsteps on the porch. They stop at the front door, but no one knocks. I am frozen. If I had gotten up and looked around the corner through the kitchen, I would have seen the owner of the food steps standing at the door, which had a window. But then they would have seen me. If I talk to my brother, they'll hear me. And in the dark, anyone could be looking through the windows at us. But we couldn't see out. I go through all my options. The person is standing at the only door in or out of the house which is always unlocked. If I go to the kitchen to grab a knife, they will see me and know I see them. We can't hide. The house is too small and they'll see where we go. My heart is racing. My best option is to pretend I don't know for as long as I can and be ready for whatever comes next. But after a few minutes, I don't hear any more footsteps. I calm down. I might have just imagined it. Twenty minutes later, I hear my mom's car and see the headlights go across the windows. I run outside because I'm still a child and I want my mother to know how scared I am. But before I can tell her, she asks me who left the water on, and I'm terrified again. We had this weird water spigot in the front yard with a pole that shot up to about waist height and a spigot turned up instead of down. My brother and I would treat it like a drinking fountain or turn it on full blast and play under it like a fountain. When she got home, the water was on full blast, shooting several feet up into the air. Someone had been there that night on our porch. They saw my brother and I alone, no car in the drive. They didn't come in, but they wanted us to know they could have. Mm -hmm. 
My family and I once lived back in some of my family's woods. No one could see our little plot, just woods all around. My family lived nearby, but down the dirt road away. We had no light poles put up, so it would get very dark back there. I started to notice a light above the trees. I figured out it was not a star because it would sway, rise quickly, totally disappear, descend behind the trees. This went on for a few days, and I was the only one who had seen it. My dad hired some guys to help him with a deck. My husband sort of knew one and would invite him to dinner after they worked. That light always seemed to get closer when that guy was there. It was even at tree level often. I knew this because I could see the light behind the trees, obviously not in the sky. I showed it to my husband, kids, and the guy, not mentioning it earlier in case I was crazy. My daughter decided to play with it. She said, follow me if you're an alien. Then she walked to the left, and it went to the left. She went right, and it did too. She went right again, it followed. That freaked me the hell out. The guy was so freaked out that he left, and the light followed him. It freaking followed him as he left. I edited to add this. I should also say that this man lived in the woods behind us, so it was easy to see the light descend to where he lived. He wasn't very far from us at all, just separated by woods. For about four days, that light would follow that man when he left. I thought he was about to get abducted by aliens. I would stare out the window, peering into the darkness for hours because I feared missing a Mel Gibson signs birthday party like moment that would verify my fears. One night the man did not come. The light was still there, freaking me out. I had just about lost my mind at this point, worried about my kids being abducted by aliens. I yelled at it, What's your problem, huh? What do you want? It was following me, walking as I lost my shit. I ended up flipping at the bird, and it seemed to dive towards me. I kid you not. In that moment, I thought I had pissed the aliens off, and they were about to crash into me. Then it disappeared during the time I had my back to it, running for my life. I told my father what was going on. His response was, Are you on crack? I got irate and had to explain that. No, I was not on crack. He gave me a shotgun and told me to just shoot it down next time I saw it, if it is real. It only came back when that man came back, and it left when he left. I did not shoot it down because I figured a shotgun would just piss off aliens. Never saw it again and lived in fear of aliens in the dark woods for the rest of our stay there. Years later, I was reading local news and stumbled across an article that explained the lights. It was an article about how the local cops used drones to catch drug dealers and other nefarious folks. My jaw dropped. I was about 20, one when all that happened, and more naive than I am now. Also, this was back before drones were so popular and well-known, especially for someone who didn't really use the Internet much during that time. I remembered how not long after completing the deck... That man who was visiting us was arrested for drug charges and some other stuff involving the Mexican Mafia, as it was called. We were pretty shocked because we figured he was just a regular old drug dealer, which we don't have an issue with. Mafia stuff, though, we didn't like that being near our kids. So I spent a portion of my life terrified of aliens when it was more than likely the police using drones. Whoever was manning the drone was probably bored and decided to mess with us. 
or they didn't want the guy or us to catch on, so they went with making us believe they were aliens. Or they were actually aliens, and I came up with a reason that my brain can handle better. If it was cops and I had shot it like my father told me to, I would probably still be in prison today. So glad I didn't do that. My wife, kids, and I live in 30 miles or so outside of town on 100 acres. The house sits half a mile off the main road. My wife wanted the works for security when we got the place, so I did a gate driveway doorbell. Past the gate, cameras at the gate and at the house. Alarm system, two new puppies, you name it. I've always lived way out my whole life, so I'm used to the hog squeals. Coyote screams, deer huffing. All that jazz. One night around 2 a.m., I heard a loud shatter, and instantly it was covered by the alarm siren for the house. The main keypad is in our bedroom, and I look to see the glass break sensor in our son's bedroom has tripped. I, thinking the worst, grab a shotgun kept for rattlesnakes and run to his bedroom, hollering for my wife to grab our youngest from his crib just in case. I hear my oldest son screaming. I'm shaking so violently I can barely turn the doorknob. My adrenaline fight response has completely taken over. I throw the door open, let out a war cry, trying to intimidate a would-be intruder, and my son is clinging to the crib rails and glass is all over the floor. I can just feel the cold winter air snapping through the room. I shut his bedroom door behind me, grab him up, and frantically check the bathroom. His closet, anywhere in the area... I thought the intruder would be. I yell for my wife again. Living this far out, we have a system if someone is ever in the house. And one of us knows, but we don't want to alert the intruder. She gives a response, indicating she's alone, still, and okay. I take my son to my wife and hand her the shotgun, telling her I'll grab the rifle and check around inside and out. I grab a flashlight in my rifle. I scan the entire house. I walk outside and hit the auto lock on the deadbolt. I quickly make my way around to the back side of the house to the busted window. My adrenaline has started coming down, and I'm logically telling myself it had to have been a deer, right? Saw his reflection buck the window. Window broke. That's got to be it. I checked high and low all around the house and never found any indication to what it was. I checked the cameras and couldn't find anything around the house at that time either. I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. It took a few weeks for me to let my son sleep in his own bedroom again. I'm positive it was just a deer attacking his reflection. But I've always wondered if someone broke the window and heard the siren and immediately ran. Now there was a blind spot watching that particular window. I've installed more cameras since the incident, and I have one that points down each side of the house just to watch windows and entrances. Motion-sensing floodlights on all four corners, and my favorite, one of our pups sleeps right beside his bed every night. Let me tell you about an unforgettable adventure that Stan Rudd, my good friend, experienced in the depths of the Calmeopsis wilderness in Oregon. We were on a quest for something precious, something that had captivated our imaginations for years, the legendary lost Indian gold mine. 
Little did we know that our journey would take an unexpected turn into the realm of the mysterious and unknown. Accompanied by Stan's trusted companion, Nilotto, we ventured deep into the wilderness, our hearts filled with anticipation and the allure of hidden treasures. Our campsite was nestled among towering trees, a sanctuary amidst the untamed beauty of nature. To safeguard our food from the prying paws of bears, we devised a clever plan. We strung up a freshly caught deer, suspending it a lofty eight to nine feet above the ground. Nightfall embraced the wilderness, casting an eerie blanket over the landscape. The air was thick with anticipation as we settled into our makeshift shelter, the crackling fire providing a comforting glow in the darkness. However, our peaceful slumber was abruptly shattered by a blood-curdling growl that pierced through the night. Fear gripped our hearts as we strained to discern the source of the menacing sound. Shadows danced in the flickering firelight, amplifying the tension in the air. The growling grew louder, filling the silence with an undeniable presence. In our minds raced to comprehend the danger lurking just beyond our camp. Dawn broke, revealing a scene of utter devastation. The deer we had carefully hoisted above the ground, out of reach from the jaws of bears, had been decimated. Only its severed legs remained, a grisly testament to the night's events. Something powerful and savage had infiltrated our sanctuary, leaving behind nothing but remnants of our hopes for a bountiful feast. But what truly baffled us was the discovery nearby, an imposing mound of fecal matter, unlike anything we had ever seen. It stretched two feet in length and boasted a thickness of about four inches. Its presence sent shivers down our spines a silent message from an enigmatic force that had crossed paths with us in the night. The incident occurred in the fall a few years back, yet its memory lingers vividly in our minds. It serves as a reminder that the wilderness holds secrets we may never fully comprehend. Our search for gold had unwittingly led us to a confrontation with the unknown, leaving us humbled and in awe of the untamed forces that roam these remote lands. To this day, Stan and I recount this tale with a mix of trepidation and fascination. The lure of hidden treasures may have brought us to the Calmeopsis wilderness, but it was the encounter with the unexplained that forever etched its mark upon our souls. So a few years ago, I went camping with my dad about a quarter mile off the trail. As we were cooking food, a baby bear wandered into the small clearing. We were a bit freaked out, but it was probably more scared of us, so it wandered away. Important later, we left the campsite to hike a bit, and when it started to get dark, we traveled back to our campsite. We realized we hadn't marked it in any way and spent a while looking for it. We heard some growling, like really loud, and we freaked. We started to walk on the trail back to the car with my dad holding our only flashlight. We hear a growl closer this time. Not super close, but close enough we started to run. By then it was pitch black other than the flashlight. As I ran, I heard my dad drop the flashlight. He found it, but only one of the batteries was still in it. I was thinking this definitely felt like a basic horror plot. We ran pretty fast a few miles back to the car and drove home. We came back the next day and searched all day, couldn't find it. 
We came back the next weekend, still couldn't find it. The next weekend, my dad went by himself and found it. He brought the stuff home. The tent had claw marks through it, and all the food that we hadn't yet hung in a tree was eaten. I remember it vividly, the strange events that unfolded after the sightings of the monstrous creature in West Virginia. It was a summer to remember, filled with mystery and intrigue. My name is Mark, and I was one of the witnesses to the creature's presence. It all started on the 12th of June, when Kathleen May and a group of teenagers reported seeing a ten-foot-tall monster. The news spread like wildfire, and everyone in small town was buzzing with excitement and fear. Little did we know that this was just the beginning of a series of bizarre occurrences. The next day, the Snitowski family also claimed to have encountered the same monstrous being. The entire community was on edge, and rumors and speculations ran wild. People were desperate for answers, searching for any clues that could shed light on the mystery. Then, out of nowhere, two men appeared in Braxton County, posing as peddlers. They went from house to house, selling pots and pans, but something about their demeanor seemed off. They showed little interest in their merchandise, quickly shifting the conversation towards the sightings. It was as if they were on a mission to gather information. Curiosity got the better of me, and I invited the peddlers into my home. As they demonstrated their pots and pans, they began steering the conversation towards the monster sightings. They asked probing questions, trying to extract every detail from my account. It was clear that they were not your average peddlers. Their true purpose was to uncover the truth behind the sightings. Hours passed as we delved deeper into the strange occurrences. They seemed genuinely intrigued by the sightings and showed no signs of leaving any time soon. It was both captivating and unnerving to have them hanging on to every word I said. I couldn't help but wonder what their true intentions were. As the evening wore on, the conversation took a more intense turn. They shared their own theories and speculated about the nature of the creature. It was as if they possessed insider knowledge, leaving me both fascinated and uneasy. Who were these men, and why were they so invested in the sightings? Eventually, the peddlers bid me farewell, their pots and pans untouched. They left as mysteriously as they had arrived, leaving me with more questions than answers. I was in seventh or eighth grade when me and about fifteen of my friends and acquaintances went into the woods by the highway. To ensure no one saw that there were kids with airsoft guns and camos shooting each other, we trekked deep into the woods. No highway car could be heard, so we knew it was far enough. We eventually came across this old single-roomed house. The windows were boarded up with wood, the door had about five padlocks, and the pool out back was green with algae. Grass overgrew any remnants of a driveway through the dense forest. Peeking through the wood boards, found broken furniture and the floor caked in dirt. The guy who organized the hangout lived nearby and assured us all that the owners hadn't been at the house for ten years. They were old and presumed dead. With no concerns, we finally played airsoft for a couple hours. Needing a break, we all rendezvoused back at the house. As we approached, we could hear the faint sound of an engine. 
Nobody could even tell a car was approaching at first because of the thick brush. Sure enough, a black car was rolling around the corner. Pulling up to our group, the driver lowers the passenger window. An old man driving and an old man behind him. The passenger was an elderly woman with another elderly woman behind her. Everyone in the car was dressed in all black formal clothes. They practically started screaming at us to get away, literally almost shrieking, but it also sounded angry. We tried to apologize for trespassing, but then the driver started reaching for something in the glove box. We all ran out of there. Their eyes were so grayish blue it was almost transparent. The hair was whiter than snow. The black tuxedos and dresses were vampiric looking. To this day, I think they were cultists. I'll never know, and I'll never forget. My name is Jack, and I lead a rather adventurous life. By day, I work as a hunter, skilled in tracking elusive game through the wilderness. And in my free time, I indulge in my passion for soccer, finding solace in the thrill of the game. It was a crisp autumn morning when my friends called me, their voices filled with excitement and mischief. They proposed a hunting trip to a forbidden part of Yellowstone National Park, a place shrouded in local legends and superstitions. Despite my initial reluctance, I couldn't resist the allure of adventure, and I agreed to join them. As we set off on our journey, laughter and banter filled the air, masking the subtle unease that lingered beneath the surface. What could go wrong? The deeper we ventured into the preserve, the more unsettling the atmosphere became. Trails seemed to vanish before our eyes, leading us in circles, and phantom animals darted through the underbrush, elusive and ethereal. Unexplained noises echoed through the trees, sending shivers down our spines. It was then, in the heart of that supposedly haunted place, that we encountered the true horror that awaited us. A vengeful spirit like cryptid, a creature that had been awakened. One by one, my friends fell victim to its wrath, their lives cruelly snuffed out. As the cries and pleas for mercy filled the air, I knew I was the only one left standing. Fear coursed through my veins, but I couldn't abandon my friends to this malevolent force. Gathering my courage, I prepared for a final battle, armed with my trusty rifle. In a desperate showdown, I faced off against the cryptid, our eyes locked in a battle of wills. With every shot I fired, I prayed it would be the one to bring an end to its reign of terror. Finally, with a well-aimed shot to its heart, the creature let out a bone-chilling howl and collapsed. But as it lay lifeless on the forest floor, a strange occurrence unfolded. The cryptid, once a fearsome presence, vanished into thin air as if it had never existed at all. The weight of what had transpired settled upon me, and I realized the magnitude of the horrors I had witnessed. Wounded and emotionally drained, I summoned the strength to call for help. But when the authorities arrived, their eyes fell upon the lifeless bodies of my friends, and suspicion clouded their gaze. Instead of finding solace in aid, I found myself accused of their deaths. Now, confined within the cold confines of a jail cell, I reflect upon the events that led me here. The haunting memories of that ill-fated hunting trip remain etched in my mind, and I yearn for justice and vindication. 
the truth of that cursed place in Yellowstone National Park may forever remain a mystery, but the burden of what I experienced will forever haunt me. This was at Deschutes Park in Washington State. It's a small-ish trail that has a couple waterfall viewpoints. We went out because it was mushroom season, and we were looking for chicken of the woods and oysters. So the three of us get to the park. There is no one else in the parking lot. Cool, we get to have the trail to ourselves and talk. We go down, mess about for an hour looking for mushrooms and just enjoying the fresh air and quietness. We stop and see this giant oyster mushroom. This thing was like two pounds intact. I got real excited and said, Who guys look? More loudly than normal. At this point, we all looked and I noticed some sticks cracking off in the woods. Then I hear a tree knock and being in Bigfoot country that definitely snapped our attention behind us. NBD for crack squirrels and deer are around, but this sounded like a hard stick on a tree. We turn around. I see an older man, about five feet seven, glasses and gray hair, a red North Face windbreaker and blue jeans jump from behind a tree. He was holding a walking stick, so I assume that was it, like he was peering around the tree, spying on us dramatically, and jumped out trying to appear normal. Then he ran toward us. This dude was not on the trail and got there after us. I kept hearing snaps in the woods throughout our walk, but it did not click until I saw him. Then he seemed not to notice us, startled looking, and ran toward us anyway. We tensed as he approached. We didn't have a weapon, but my boyfriend is pretty big. Me and my cousin are female. We were the ones talking loudly, so I'm sure he heard us and thought we were alone. He started walking with us, and I noticed he had a slight English accent. A formal-sounding guy, but creepy. He was saying, do you have any weapons? There's been bears down here. There was no bears we knew of in that area. He also asked us at the end of the trail if we wanted to partake in his ritual in the water. At the end of the trail, the water kind is accessible, but it is freezing cold. Rapids. This day was about 60 Fahrenheit. No way this thinner old man is going to jump in there, I thought. But he was insistent on us going down there with him. I was like, uh, no thank you. I didn't know what else to say. I feel like this dude was either 100% some weirdo creep looking to kill us or some partially psychotic man on a hike. 